morning, Wonsong Hills. Please stand and join us in singing. My name is Andrew Pagani. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the deacons here. Uh, if you ever have a mercy need of any sort, please seek out one of the deacons, and we're happy to always help. Uh, also, uh, good morning to everyone who's joining us online uh, as we're worshiping and live streaming this morning. So first this morning, I have a few announcements to share. Um, you'll find these announcements in the worship guide that is posted online, and I also believe it on the screen behind me. Uh, first, there will be an all-church night of prayer on Tuesday, August 25th at 7 p.m. Uh, this will be a virtual event via Zoom, and a Zoom link will be posted on Realm uh, and sent out by email just before the event. Everyone is welcomed and encouraged to pray with your fellow church members. There will be a women's ministry planning meeting uh, on Sunday, August 30th at 2 p.m. at the church office. A Zoom login will be available, and all women in uh, the church are welcome to come and help plan the upcoming women's events. Uh, third, there will be a church picnic on uh, September 6th from 4 to 7 p.m. at Foxridge Park in Leesburg. Uh, we will be using uh, social distancing and safety procedures like we did uh, back on the July 4th picnic. Uh, volunteers, however, are needed to help cook and serve. Uh, please contact Lindsay Dyke uh, to get more information. Uh, also, as a reminder, on the slides behind me, we have uh, a, a couple of safety precautions we've put in place for COVID. 
Uh, please observe these precautions, and when the church service is over, please remain in your seats until your section is called to exit via the designated routes. Okay, and now it's time to turn to worship. Um, through the responsive call, uh, this morning's reading is from Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. I'll speak as a leader and you as the people. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, having the same love, being in full accord or one mind, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind of your, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. In the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by your grace, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to gather together and to seek to worship you as sons and daughters of the one true living God. May the time we spend together in your presence nourish our hearts and minds. May it strengthen our relationship with you and renew our commitments to live in this world as your faithful disciples. May our service this morning bring all glory and honor to you, and may you bless Dr. Silvernail as he brings us your word. Be with us all now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let us worship together in song. It's by grace I have been saved through faith a gift of Almighty God. It's by grace I've been saved. It's by grace I have been saved through faith. Not of myself, it's a gift of Almighty God. It's by grace I've been saved. I was dead in my transgressions. I was dead in my sin i was dead until my god made me alive in christ it's by grace i have been saved through faith not of myself it's a gift of almighty god it's by grace i've been saved i was dead in my
Before there was time, there were visions in your mind. There was death and the fall of mankind. There was life and salvation's design. Before there were days, there were nights I could not see your face. Life couldn't keep me from grace. You came and you took my place. So I cry, Holy, Only Begotten Son of God, Ancient of Days. I cry, Holy, Only Begotten Son of God. Sing the praises of the One who saved me and the promises He made. Before there was time, He counted the hairs on my knew all the words that I said, and purchased me back from the dead. Before I was made, you searched and you knew my ways, you numbered all of my days, and set forth the steps I would take. So I cry, holy, only begotten Son of God, I cry, holy, only begotten Son of God. Sing the praises of the one who saved me and the promises he made. I cry, holy, only begotten Son of God, ancient of days. I cry, holy, only begotten Son. Sing the praises of the one who saved me and the promises he made before there was time. Before there was time, he searched and he knew my ways. He numbered all of my days, except for the steps I would take. For there was
please be seated. All right, it's time now for our worship through prayer. Uh, this morning, uh, for our worship through prayer, we, we will be reciting a prayer from Dr. John MacArthur, uh, Grace Community Church of Sun Valley, California. This prayer is taken from a book called A Year in Prayer. I will read the parts that are not in bold, and you as a congregation will pray in unison with me in the parts in bold print. So let us begin. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame and his coming. And if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Sovereign God, we pray on behalf of your church throughout the world for this congregation and for our sister PCA churches in the Potomac Presbytery. Fill their pastors with your spirit, Holy Spirit, and bless their worship services in person and online. Of the uh, Grace DC Church Network of Washington DC, Grace Downtown, and their pastors, Reverend Glenn Holberg and Dr. Mike Park, Grace Mosaic, and their pastors, Reverend Russ Whitefield, or Whitfield, and Dr. Erwin Ince, and Grace Meridian Hill and their pastors, Reverend Duke Kwan and Reverend Romargo Yancey. Lord, hear our prayer. Dear Father, we thank you by your mercy and grace through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ, your son, we have come to know you. At the moment of salvation, you anointed us by your spirit who remains forever with us to teach us to understand your truth. You have drawn us by the power of the gospel to the light of your word. Lord, hear our prayer. You sent your son to be our savior, to rescue us from sin's power by taking our guilt on himself and dying to pay sin's awful price. Mercy and truth just met at the cross. Righteousness and peace kissed each other. In the process, you lovingly brought us into a place of safety honor, glory, and everlasting salvation. Lord, hear our prayer. O oh Lord, what gifts are, uh, these are to us. Give us grace and pure hearts to worship in spirit and truth that our praise may be acceptable to you. May Christ Jesus be fully on display in us through both our words and our works so that others may see and be drawn to the pure light of the gospel. Lord, hear our prayer. O oh God, all of our spoken and unspoken presents, we present to you in the majestic name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. At this time, we now turn towards private and corporate confession of sin and assurance of pardon. So if you would, please join with me now in taking a few moments uh, for private confession to the Lord. Please recite along with me. O oh Lord, we confess that we have run from your light and love darkness. You have poured out upon us grace upon grace, but we daily resist you. You fully revealed yourself to us through Jesus, yet we act as if you withheld your will and your heart from us. Although you have offered us life through your Son, we try to gain life through our work relationships pleasures. You draw near to us, bearing our weakness in flesh. For we are reluctant to serve our neighbors and bear their burdens. O oh, Savior, have mercy on us through Jesus, the friend of sinners. Show us your glory. Amen. And now for our assurance of pardon. 
Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. With that, now will be the time when we would normally take offering, but per the current precautionary guidance, the ushers will be not be taking offering to this morning. Uh, but instead, we direct you upon exiting the church to place your offerings uh, in the boxes located near the exits. Uh, we also have giving options available on our website and on Realm. Thank you, and now let us sing. Amen. Let's stand again as we sing our, our offering of song to the Lord during this time of offering. To the only God. can dismiss our younger children the children's church if you'll meet in the lobby where pastor wong is and while they're heading out remind you that on our website when it get the sermon is uh materials are posted um there is a worship guide which is like a bulletin um that you can print out and bring with you if you want that there is also the sermon notes, the outline, which you can also print out and bring with you if you want to follow it along. So we don't have any handouts that we're giving out right now, but those are available to those that want them and I encourage you to uh, use those. All right, you turn with me to the Gospel of Mark towards the very end. So... We are in the end of Mark 14 and the beginning of Mark 15. We're in our last two weeks in the Gospel of Mark. After a year uh, in Mark, we're wrapping it up. So it has been uh, hopefully very worthwhile for you to learn more about our Savior. We're coming to sort of the climactic high points of his life. And today we're getting a familiar story, uh, one that we think we know, and hopefully we'll see and learn some new things today. But we will be in Mark 14, starting at verse 66, all the way through Mark 15, verse 20. So we have quite a bit this morning. Please listen carefully as this is God's word, and we ask that he would put it in our hearts. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began to say, I began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. 
And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they had asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And then they led him out to crucify him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. And as always, we need it so much. Thank you for giving us the scriptures and making us your people. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And we especially need this word, for it deals with matters of the heart. It doesn't merely record history of an event that happened some uh, 2,000 years ago. It doesn't merely record instructions for daily life. This passage speaks of matters of the heart that are a reality in our own lives and our own temptations. And we know that your word searches out our hearts. It's powerful, it's effective, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It get down, gets down deep into our soul and our heart and our being and is able to discern and divide things that we ourselves can't sort out. It speaks words that we dare not ignore. So open our eyes and our hearts and our ears that we might hear your word and believe it and respond to it in faith. Thank you that today we're learning once again from John Mark follower of Jesus, as he brings us the earliest eyewitness account of the life of Christ. And so we pray, speak through the gospel of Mark this morning, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us see Jesus. For in his name we pray, amen and amen. Well, I'm going to look at things a little differently today and try to deal with the big picture of this passage, instead of going verse by verse or paragraph by paragraph, sort of taking it in two sections, but really trying to look at the big picture, and we're really going to focus in on the Apostle Peter. So there's a number of other things I'm not going to cover. Peter's one of the most interesting characters in the Bible. The Gospels are full of Peter. No disciple spoke as much or as often as Peter did. Jesus spoke to him more than any of his other followers. No disciple was rebuked by Jesus as much or as strongly as Peter was. He thought he was, or he was the only disciple who thought it was his duty to rebuke Jesus. No disciple boldly confessed and encouraged Christ more than Peter. 
No one bothered the Lord more than Peter. Peter is always talking. His overabundance of words range from the ridiculous to the awe-inspiring. Sometimes he opened mouth to change feet. And other times his words were eternal. Christ spoke words of approval and blessing to Peter, the likes of which he never spoke to anyone else. But at the same time, and sometimes almost in the same breath, he said harsher things to Peter than to any of the other 12 disciples, including Judas. All the Gospels testify to Peter's primacy. He's the first among equals. In each of the four lists of the apostles given in the Gospels, the orders of the names varies, but Peter's always first. And shortly after Peter's calling, just a sort of a quick trip through some of the things that Peter says, both amazing and not amazing, <laughs> um, he observed the miracle of the great catch of fish, and he made a very astute observation Luke chapter 5. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He is profoundly aware of his own sin and his own need. In answer to Christ's question as to who he was, which is sort of the high point of both Matthew and Mark, Peter's immortal response in Matthew was, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And yet a few moments later, when Christ spoke of the cross, Peter said, it, it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Foot and mouth disease. Peter suffered from it terribly. Don't forget the stormy night on the Sea of Galilee. It's Peter who bravely calls out to Jesus, Matthew 14, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. But then a few moments later, when he saw the wind and he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me. And it'll be always to Peter's credit that when the others abandon Jesus and Jesus poignantly asked about the disciples in John chapter 6, says, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Near the end of Jesus' ministry in the upper room, John's account records Peter as saying in John 13, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you shall have no share with me. Then hearing Jesus' words, he loudly reverses himself. John 13, 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So when I think of Peter, I get this mental image of this big, loud, talkative extrovert. He's sort of this headstrong Hulk who's always getting in trouble and causing Jesus plenty of trouble too. And the reality is, it's really easy for preachers to use him as a whipping boy. It's great fun to portray Peter slipping below the waters of Galilee and crying out in fear. But we forget that none of us have ever walked on water. Peter's sheer humanity makes him everyone's teacher. The old preacher Clarence McCartney so well explains his impulsive deeds, his frequent questions, his eager exclamations and confessions, the praise and honor and rebukes that were bestowed upon him, his sometimes manly and sometimes cowardly acts, his oaths, his bitter tears, all this makes Peter the great companion and the great instructor of his fellow men and his fellow Christians. And the night of his failure is perhaps the most instructive night of his life. This, as I said, is a familiar story. But remember, in the crumbling atmosphere of the upper room, one of Jesus' most trusted disciples, one of the inner circle, his most confident, enthusiastic supporter, made an incredible promise. Mark 14. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. 
And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. In the parallel passage in Luke 22, he says, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Part of his Patrick Henry moment. Peter, the rock of Gibraltar among the disciples. And yet this foremost disciple is going to succumb to a deadly denial and infamous failure. The rock will crumble. He's going to be reduced to a small stone of a man. This is the story of Peter's denial. Again, it's a famous story, but if you look at it, you realize we kind of have to gather it and collate it. It comes in sections. We have to collect the verses to put the whole narrative together. Mark has deliberately intertwined two stories, the story of Peter's denial and the story of Jesus' trial because he wants us to contrast and compare and see the parallels between these two stories. Peter is on trial just like Jesus. Peter is being questioned just like Jesus. Peter is forced to give a response just like Jesus. However, Jesus knows he's on trial. Peter doesn't realize it until it's too late. So let's start again at verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and again began, began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Now the hour is late. The night is dark, cold, and damp. Peter has followed Jesus all the way to the temple courtyard, where the Savior under heavy guard awaits his hearing. Peter comes because Jesus is his Lord, because Jesus would have come for him. He comes to help, not knowing what to do or how or when. Do I fight? Do I yell? Do I preach? Do I just watch and listen? He's not sure, so he comes to this campfire to sort things out, to think, to plan his next move. And in this damp, dreary chill of a long night, Peter sat down amidst the enemy. Luke says he sat down among the guards. He is literally in the enemy camp. And he's overwhelmed by this cold, dark, listless depression. Peter's in dangerous company. And one of the servant girls of the high priest's household has been studying him. It's very interesting. I love the details we get in some of the Gospels. You know, they aren't really necessary to the story. You find them more in Matthew and Luke. But by the light of the flames, Satan's going to do his work. And perhaps the fire blazed up suddenly and revealed him more clearly. The account in Luke tells us, Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Peter feels the heat, and he denies Jesus. Peter's words are a lie, a bald-faced denial. By this time, most of the disciples have already run off and abandoned Jesus, and Peter at least had followed him. But in that foggy moment, the military people talk about the fog of war, where things are overwhelming and you can't make a decision and you can't see clearly what you should do. And I think we have sort of that foggy moment for Peter, and he abandons the battle. He gave the impression that he wasn't one of the enemy. At best, he's just a bystander. 
and the lie had thrown its first coil around him and begun to tighten. And because it's cold, as Jesus' interrogation continues behind closed doors, those in the courtyard stay close to the fire. I imagine, and a lot of this is I'm imagining the story, the conversation would range from one subject to another. If you ever sat around a campfire with people, you sort of have these ran, random, rambling conversations. You know, the Passover crowds, yesterday's fight in the barracks, the new girl, this eccentric teacher from Galilee. And they talk and they nod and they probably lay odds on his chances. Then comes another accusation, verse 68. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed and the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And another serpent's coil slides around Peter. In his first lie, he denies knowing Jesus. He denies knowing what this girl is talking about. In the second denial, he actually denies being one of them, being one of the disciples. And this deception is resting somewhat comfortably on Peter, imperceptibly tightening. Verse 70. And after a little while, while the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, but he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Remember, Peter's on trial. And now he swears. Just as you would have to if you went into a court today. It's the moment of truth for Peter. And in no uncertain terms, Peter denies his relationship with Jesus. And somewhere in the night, a rooster stretches out its neck, shakes its feathers, and crows an indictment. Now let me say something really discouraging. Here's what I think Mark is trying to show us. Mark wants us to see that, you know, you don't have to be in a courtroom to be on trial. Ordinary life is a trial in and of itself. Just out there in the courtyard at the fire, it's not just Peter, it's you and me. And in those moments, will you speak up for the truth no matter what the cost? Will you speak up if you know Jesus? Will you identify with Jesus publicly? And I think we're living in a day and age where those are no longer going to be rhetorical questions. We're going to be confronted with those sorts of things. And what Mark is trying to say, it's in ordinary life that your integrity, your ability to be a faithful witness for Christ will be on trial. <coughs> and he's trying to show us that, look, that's going to happen, and none of us is actually going to succeed. No one will pass the test. Because here's a man who tried so hard, harder than anyone else. Here's a man who has an accountability structure like you'll never have. And he failed. And it wrecked him. <coughs> In the heat of his denial, Peter is not prepared for the next excruciating moment, verse 72. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Imagine the scene. Peter has denied Jesus for the third time, and then in a distance, he hears the rooster. It just falls apart. At that moment, Peter's emotions collapse. He runs from the courtyard, tears course down his face like rain down a rock. He probably stops somewhere and beats his fists against a stone wall, pulls at his hair, gnarls his face. The guilt is too much to bear. And collapses in a heap and cries and cries and cries and cries until there's no more tears left to cry. No one will know the anguish that Peter goes through in the next few hours or over the next few days. Something dies inside of Peter that night. You see, the winnowing of Satan is over. 
Peter is a smaller man now. Lost that thick husk of self-sufficiency, the overconfidence that surrounded his life. He has been broken and is laid bare. And all that's left is a small kernel of faith. It's a tiny grain, but it's a grain that Satan can't touch. Because Satan can winnow the chaff all he wants, but the wheat belongs to Jesus. And that's important to remember. Because Jesus is Peter's deliverance. The main word used in the first 20 verses of chapter 15 is to deliver, talking about delivering over Jesus. But through that is also how Peter is delivered. I'm not going to read the whole thing again. I'm just going to read sort of the beginning and end of that long passage. Um, The first couple verses, as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Verse 10, this is Pilate, for he perceived it was out of envy. The chief priests had delivered him up. Verse 15, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified, and the soldiers led him away. Verse 20, and when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Five, six times we're talked about being led away or delivered. It's the key phrase in this section. When the Bible has repetitive words, that's a clue to what the meaning is. So let's go back to what Mark's been trying to say all along. Mark wants us to see the parallels. He's done this numerous times throughout the book. You know, he's shown an instance of uh, where somebody uh, is healed and the disciples don't get it. Or when somebody else gets it, the disciples don't. Usually it's the disciples. And he's comparing and contrasting. This is a very common technique for Mark. And he wants us to see that. Peter's being questioned Jesus is questioned. Peter's on trial. Jesus is on trial. Peter's being charged with something which is true. You are a disciple. Jesus is being charged with something which isn't true. As we saw last week. He's not trying to blow up the temple. He's not a vandal. He's not a terrorist. But Peter, even though he's being charged with something true, gets off. And Jesus, even though he's charged with something false, is condemned. Mark has done everything up to this point to show us it's not just an ironic coincidence. You could say, oh, Peter deserves to be condemned, gets off, and Jesus, who deserves to uh, get off, is condemned. Isn't that ironic? It's not just ironic. Because in the Lord's Supper passage earlier in Mark 14, we read, and he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. In the parallel passage in Luke, we read that this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And what Jesus is saying and what Mark is saying is this isn't just an ironic coincidence. Peter, who deserves to be condemned, gets off because Jesus, who deserves to get off, is condemned in his place. Jesus is not just suffering unjustly, though he is. He's suffering substitutionally. It's not just Peter goes free and Jesus gets condemned. Isn't that terrible? It's rather Peter goes free because... Jesus is condemned. And he becomes our witness in court, our representative in court. He stood in our place in court and took the punishment we deserved. And he is crushed for our transgressions. And Luke tells us even more than Mark. Luke tells us essentially to summarize that Peter says, oh, I'm never going to fail you. And Jesus says, oh, yes, you are. And Peter says, oh, no, I'm not. But then Jesus adds something, and it sounds strange, because when he says it, we don't really understand it. But then we can understand it now. And of course, the reason Peter had not been sifted into oblivion 
the reason he repented, the reason he's restored, was Christ's prayer for him. Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. The message is clear. Though through his denial, Peter is a great sinner, he would be granted repentance. And repent he would. And not only that, Jesus had said that when Peter turned back, he was to strengthen your brothers. He would have a ministry, a strengthening ministry. This great sinner would become a pillar of the church. Hard to see. When we're looking for somebody to lead, we don't say, who screwed up the most? Let's pick him. It's not normally how we do that. First of all, Jesus is giving us sort of a foreshadowing of what he's going to do in John 21 when he restores Peter. And he's telling Peter, you're going to turn back, but you're going to get through this. And when you do, you're going to strengthen your brothers because you're the biggest failure, you're going to be the biggest leader. Because you're the biggest screw-up, you're going to preach the greatest gospel. Why? Well, here's the answer. Jesus says, I have prayed for you. Past tense. That's another way that Jesus represents us. Listen to this, 1 John 1, 9 and uh, 2, verses 1 and 2. You know these verses. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. So why does it matter that Jesus prays for us? Because he is your advocate. He's standing before the Father representing you. And he's the atoning sacrifice. That's what the propitiation for our sins is about. And then the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's praying for us, present tense. So now here's the gospel according to Romans 8 and 1 John 1 and 2. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you don't have to represent yourself anymore. Jesus is your representative. He's standing as your representative, as it were, before that heavenly court. In some way, he is seen, not you. He's your representative. Hebrews says he's our great high priest. John says he's our advocate. It's like a defense attorney. He stands in the court on our behalf. We don't have to appear. He speaks for us and therefore we're safe. But many of us, perhaps most of us, don't really understand how this works. We think something like this is happening up there. Jesus comes before the Father and he says, Father, it's about Frank Wong. He did it again. Yesterday he promised that he would never ever do it again, but he did it again. The Father says, well, what should we do about that? And Jesus says, would you please give Frank one more chance? And I think that's what a lot of us think is going on. Just give him one more chance. Be merciful to him one more time. You know, and the father's like, well, all right. You know, because you think Jesus is up there as Frank's advocate. And what he's doing is begging for mercy. In other words, it's like a defense attorney who has no case. And when you have a client like Frank and you're defending him and you have no case, then all you can do is play on the emotions. All you can do is spin. All you can do is manipulate and hope that somehow you're going to get some sympathy. You haven't got a case. And I think he was up there before the father saying, please give Frank mercy one more time. And then I read David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was one of the great preachers of the last century. 
And Lloyd-Jones said something like this. Please notice, Jesus Christ is not before the Father asking for mercy. Because it says, if we confess our sins when Jesus is our advocate, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It doesn't say he's faithful and merciful. It doesn't say he's going to forgive us because he's merciful. He's going to forgive us because he's just. Jesus, the advocate, is not asking for mercy. He's asking for justice. So what he's saying is, Father, Frank Wong, again. But I'm not asking for mercy for what he's done. You see that sin? I paid for it. I paid for it fully. There's my blood. And Father, it would be unjust for you to get two payments for the same sin. And therefore, Frank must never fall out of your family. Frank must never fall out of your love. Frank must never fall out of your arms. Father, I am not here asking for mercy for Frank. I'm asking for justice. And that is an infallible case for Frank and for me and for you. I realize Jesus isn't just asking for mercy for me or for you or for Frank, you know, to just have one more chance. But he's clothing me and you and Frank with his righteousness because in the earthly court, he'd already been crushed by God's justice. So now God's justice is on our side and not just his mercy. Peter was prayed for, Luke 22, and Peter was delivered, John 21, and Peter went on to strengthen the church. Peter was moved from denial to deliverance, and so can you. You see, we have been prayed for, Romans 8, and we are delivered, 1 John 2, and so now we can go on to strengthen the church. The book of Mark, the entire gospel of Mark, is the eyewitness account of Peter, and when this is all over, Peter will be healed. So completely he becomes the leading eyewitness, the leading apostle, the one who for decades publicly and faithfully testified to what Jesus said and did, to what, Je to what Jesus Christ had done for him, to what Jesus Christ has done for us. This passage is a testimony to the power of the gospel of God's grace as it's found in Jesus Christ. It's testimony to the fact that Peter was changed. And it's testimony to the fact that you have been changed. Think about that. Thank God for that. You need to pray. Take a moment to do that. And ask God to let us hold true to what we have attained. And then I'll close. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, thank you that once again you have spoken to us by your Son. Open our eyes that we might see our sin and then see our Savior. Thank you that you have given us a King, your Son, our Savior. Father, forgive us, for like Peter, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We imagine that we have the strength to be faithful through any trial, and yet we have failed time and time again. We deny the gospel by our thoughts, words, and actions. We need to be delivered from our denials. We need a savior. Thank you that your son faced the agony of death on a cross as our substitute. And there was no other way. Your will was done in the salvation of sinners. It is a story of amazing grace, and we thank you for it. Thank you for the glimpses we get of Jesus and his grace towards someone just like us. Give us, we pray, the faith to trust Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Teach us to respond with a greater trust in you and in your word and in this gospel to draw us ever closer to your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Um, it's in Christ alone that our hope is found. So let's rise as we sing to our Lord and Savior.
trust alone. My hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Receive the Lord's blessing. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. God bless you. We'll see you next week.